I'll tell you what's wrong with Kiss FM. <laughs> they don't play any Kiss. <laughs> uh, so uh, today at work, we're listening to Kiss FM yes. all day. You know, the Top 40 Radio is just wearing down my defenses. I have no choice but to kind of enjoy it or I yeah. wouldn't get through my days. Well, but it's also one of those things, like Chuck Klosterman <laughs> talks about that, where he talks about, like, you you know, I could, I could force you to listen to this album a hundred times in the next ten days, and you will, like... You know, you will like it by way of being familiar with it. That doesn't yeah. mean you actually like it. Yeah, it's true. You know? I think, yeah, like David Firth, uh, the guy who does Salad Fingers, has this has a pretty uh, a pretty good like. Uh, have you ever seen his sort of? Uh, it's like a little animated short he did for MTV about like popular music and stuff. That's cool. No, that's yeah, yeah, it's really funny and uh, and like there's just like this really sharp thing where it's kind of like. You know, they go to the average uh, consumer or whatever <laughs> yeah. and, like, make him, like, hear this new single. And, like, each time you hear it, like, at first he's like, what is this crap? And then, like, each time, and, like, he's more and more like, yeah, this is okay. And But then he's like, I love it. I yeah. have to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's so true. Like, that's exactly what the, you know, what the pop industry, you know, is doing. And, yeah. and it kind of, it's really effective. Like, if, if I wasn't kind of critical enough to recognize it happening... I would just completely uh, just like, you know, give in to the music altogether and right. just not care anymore that a lot of those songs are really pretty bad and all <laughs> exactly the same. Yeah. But I really like Call Me Maybe. I know. Like, I, you know, and I've actually grown to kind of like that yeah, song. Yeah, because that, that was the first song this summer that sort of wore down my defenses to the top 40 and made me be like, I guess I kind of like this song. And then like, and then when I saw her do it with like Jimmy Fallon and The Roots, yeah. like, that made it even more like, this song's kind of cool. I didn't really <laughs> like it at first, but that kind of made me like it. At the same time, yeah. I'm never going to like, I don't feel the need to download it or listen yeah, to it Yeah, of course. I'm never anything. going to like choose to listen to it. But you know what? Like all day, like it was something I was kind of hoping would come on the radio because I like it a lot more than most of the other hits right now sure. and I only heard it like once whereas a lot of other songs you hear like seven times in a day it sucks. so Kiss FM all day not even like The Edge or Q107 no because the people there don't really like rock music it's a oh, shame that's too bad I remember I once put on The Edge and someone was like The Edge and I was like I don't know radio sucks <laughs> <laughs> what do you want me to do <laughs> yeah yeah like it would be nice if we were listening to like Vinyl FM or yeah like, Vinyl's pretty you know, good something you know Boom or whatever like because then at least it's kind of like, it's not just rock music, it's like pop, so it covers a wider spectrum, yeah. but I guess it's still kind of like people there are like, that's dinosaurs. So Kiss FM is like straight pop music all the time. Yeah, Kiss FM is like straight the hits, and that's why like within one hour you will hear the same song right. five times. That's too bad. I bet you the yeah, DJs are shitty too. Yeah, they're, they don't really say that much, or it doesn't really matter, no. but... Yeah... Yeah, the radio. See, that's a, that's another nice thing that's about working at the or at doing this internship is that like you listen to decent music. Yeah, it's like we all, we have there's like a playlist system. We had to read, so we got in there, and there were two things we had to read. One was like a thing that was just like telling us what we were gonna learn and what we were gonna do. The other one was a explanation of the music picking system. Hmm. <laughs> it was pretty. It was pretty funny. Yeah, it was good. Got to listen to some broken social scene today. Nice. And some other things. Yeah, uh, it was just like always always good music, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, another thing I noticed about this top 40 was, uh, that's interesting is, like, you know, at, the, at Current, there are, there are two kind of crossover songs that are both kind of, like, indie pop rock style songs. It's, like, you know, Somebody That I Used To Know, and then that, do you know the song Tonight We Are Young by Fun? No. Tonight. I know Fun, though. I don't really like Fun. We are young. It's, like, a really big hit and whatever. Yeah. And, like, and it's weird because, you know, those songs on their own are kind of decent songs, but hearing them in the context of the top 40 radio, really I realized... In, right? They don't fit in, and at the same time, they do, because you. I end up realizing that, like, while those are sort of, like, you know, pop songs that are performed by more kind of real artists, and they don't seem, they don't feel as much like uh, assembly line kind of pop songs, they still end up feeling like they're, you know, just kind of, like, the exact same formula is being used, which is something I might, that would go over my head if it wasn't a part of the same top 40 yeah. as these other songs. Well, fun, I mean, fun specifically, like, that band is... You know, unshameful about how poppy they are. Yeah, you know? definitely. Like the, they are. That they do the big, is. huge pop sound. That's that's right. kind of their thing. Right, like that song. Like all the other songs, the radio is like all chorus. It's like one verse yeah. and then like chorus over and over and over again. I was gonna check out that album, but never did. Mm. But, if the single's uh, any indication, it's probably kind of obnoxious. Yeah, I heard a single. I heard a song. Like when I was reading, I was reading a, a review on Sputnik for it that was pretty glowing, 
And uh, I was like, oh, this sounds like right up my alley. And then I listened to a song. I was like, this is kind of fucking annoying. Yeah. And for me to be annoyed by something is quite a lot. Yeah. Because I don't get annoyed very easily by, like, things that are, you know, that a lot of people would call obnoxious. Yeah, of course. Um, but that's a different kind of obnoxious. It is, but I don't know. I, I still, I still kind of want to check it out, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing, there's no more love songs anymore. Any song that's about, like, that theme is either about, you know, complete, like, heartbreak and loneliness, or it's just about, like, fucking in the club. I mean, most... That's lo- it. Well, I mean, I think that that reflects our modern times a little more, I think. You Maybe. Know, it's modern love songs for modern times. Exactly, and I guess the point know? is that everybody's either heartbroken or out in the club's fucking. Generally. There's no... There's no it's no just that... It's, I feel like it's more that you can just talk about just, just fucking around more than you could back in the day, you know? And that's okay. Like, yeah. that's, that's, you know, rock and roll, whatever. Yeah. But, but you know... You know, you had the fucking songs and you had the heartbreak songs that were hits back in the day, but you also had songs that were actually about how good love can be. You don't have that anymore. Though, I mean, I, I would say the majority of love songs are about heartbreak. Yeah. And then for when sure. they're generally, but when they're genuinely about how much love is good, they kind of come off as kind of cheesy. You know. Sometimes. A lot of the time, I find. I guess, but I don't know. There's like you know, especially like. When you're t- thinking about, like, the Soul era and, you know, the Beatles and stuff. Like, yeah. Like, there was, like, <coughs> some good love songs. That's true. That's true. And the, all these stuff. Like, I, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before because this is the thing that gets me the most. But it's, like, they're all designed to make you feel like you're having fun somehow. And it's just, like, it's just it feels so vapid and empty. And, like, I understand how, like, if you're actually in the right mood, maybe it just enhances that. But, like, you know, when I'm working, it's just, like, it's just the most frustrating thing. I'm, like, I'm not... <laughs> Having fun. I don't. <laughs> this music is just making me upset. I mean, yeah, I feel like there's a really interesting um, inclination for pop music now to sort of sound like it sounds kind of like inspirational. You exactly. Know? Like everything is optimistic and hopeful. Yeah. And I remember like, like or I remember, the office. I remember seeing a commercial for Kiss for Kiss, and it was like. You know, it sort of has this medley of, like, people singing. Right, yeah. But it's, like, one song in the background, and it's one of those sort of more elegant, those big songs. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's one I heard just today. It's, uh, sometimes I get a feeling. Okay, yeah. And it's, like, yeah, like, that commercial, what that commercial is trying to show you is, like, pop music makes you hopeful. Yeah. And it makes you... You know, it makes you feel like your life has meaning and that, like... Which is, which can be true. Yeah. But not when it's like this. (laughs) Yeah. This is exactly the kind of stuff the Ramones were railing against. Yeah. So, you know, with that song, uh, I, I like, I have a feeling, whatever, not the Black Eyed Peas song, which we could also go into deep discussion about, but we're not going to. Man, I like that song. <laughs> Straight up. Always have. It's all right. Always have. But, like uh, it. you know, it's a terrible cause, song. Because in this song, in this song that's currently on the hits, it goes like, I've got a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. And that's all you know. You Like, you don't know what this feeling is, but the person's obviously pretty stoked about it. <laughs> At least with the Black Eyed Peas, it's like, yeah, you, you have a feeling that tonight's going to be a good night. You knew what they were talking about. With this, it's so vague. And that's the thing about all these things. It's like, it's just, like, and that's why it all comes off as so empty, because it's all these, like, words with very vague meanings that you could take any that you can interpret any way but that like you are you know it, it, it appears supposed to take it as like that this is just kind of fun partying i'm not sure how different that is from how pop music has always operated though really uh you know but like, it is like, different but at the end of the day like the, the end goal is the same which is sort of like giving you a bunch of things that are vague enough that they can be applied to a whole to most people in some way yeah, but, uh, you know, a lot of good pop songs, you know, and ones that you can actually, you know, that have an emotional core are ones where the lyrics are a bit more Example. specific. Um, I can't think of an example. I know, like, you know, putting it on the spot is kind of hard, but... It's just like, you know, there's just... Like, Mumford and Sons fit that really well. Just kind of, like, these vague lyrics are designed... You know, because the difference is, like, vague lyrics are one thing, but vague lyrics are designed to feel like they're supposed to have a whole lot of meaning is different. Because that's very, like... That seems to be, like, intentional kind of, like, passing off your... Your, you know, flaws as virtues rather than, you know, like... The lyrics of Kiss, for instance, which are totally dumb... And and it's kind of vague, even though they're kind of specific too. But like, 
you know, but that's the thing. They, they're just, they're getting their point across. They're right. not doing it in such a way that, you know, that it feels like you're supposed to be filling in the blanks or something. Right, but in the I've Got a Feeling song, what's the difference? It's dumb. They're, they're being very aware that they're dumb. They, they mm-hmm. don't think those lyrics are good, and they're just as vague. There, there is no real difference other than that you could say that, you know, a Kiss song at least has some sort of craft and thought put into the lyrics, whereas this one probably doesn't, really. Nah, Kiss don't have any craft and thought put into the <laughs> Okay, well, fine. <laughs> then, then, then you're proving my point even more. I guess. I suppose I'm just disgruntled. It's kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah, you know, the form of pop music has changed as it's obviously going to, but the end goal is the same, it seems mm-hmm. to me. I guess it's just because it feels so much more assembly line and it's like, you know, the end goal in a sense is the same, but the way that it's operated now, you know, with this, you know, like, you know, Kiss and a lot of those other bands in the 70s were really kind of like changing the way music was sold and that's all really caught up with us today when, you know, like, you know, because now there's formulas to how to do everything and how to sell, and that's why songs all sound the same, because they want them to sound the same, mm-hmm. because that's, you know, they know exactly what is going to appeal to all the same people who liked the last song, and, like, that's weird. That's not how it used to be, you, you know? Like, it used to be harder to catch a lightning in a bottle like that, but now you have, you know, scientists in suits who are doing it all for you. No one's really doing that, though. What do you mean? No scientist is in a suit. Not being, literally like, a scientist, but I mean like a musical scientist. It's a <laughs> so a, a producer is really, and a record yeah. exec is really what you're looking for. The, the suits is what I the meant suits. by a sure. scientist in a suit. Okay. But again, I feel like it's the same thing. I feel like at the end of the day, everyone just wanted to make money. Yeah, but they the didn't know how yet. That's the difference. Okay. They didn't have the formula. Now the formula is just down so perfectly. They still don't really have the formula. There are still bizarre songs that come out once in a while that get really big for seemingly no reason. Like something like Fuck You is like a really unique and pretty cool song that was unlike anything else on the radio at the time. Mm-hmm. Massive, massive hit, you know. Yeah, but that's still the exception and not the rule. But that stuff's still... You know, at the end of the day, the record executives aren't usually taking a chance on that kind of thing. They're taking a chance on the song that sounds like the single Kelly Clarkson released two years ago. Yeah. Which is actually a song I heard today. It was literally identical (laughs) to an old Kelly Clarkson song. All right, all right. I don't know. I feel like everyone's always looking for, like, the next big thing. And while that usually often happens into the sort of homogenous pop sound it's not always a lot of the time what people are looking for are something different or at least or at least like a specific type of different exactly though it's not a genuine difference they want something that fits the same thing as what they had before but some people will perceive as unique no something like kesha for example like musically it's pretty similar to the old stuff but like the values that she's talking about Oh, well, she has a distinct personality. Exactly, she has a distinct personality, and that's what people notice, and that's why people pushed Kesha forward, and that's yeah. why Kesha got big. Same with something like Lady Gaga, who pulls a similar shtick. Like her yeah. music is not, but you know, neither of them different. Uh, but you know, neither of them are doing too much that Madonna didn't do. You know, I don't know. Kesha's pretty, pretty. Kesha's a pretty big change. Like, no, again, not musically. Of course, of course. But like, definitely lyrically but... and aesthetically, and. and yeah. But, you know, it's still just kind of Madonna for a generation of people who are just a little sluttier than they were back then. Mm, I think that's di- I think that's diminishing it more than it should be. I don't know. I don't think it is. I mean, you know, she's more risque because this is a time where that's just more acceptable. I guess Madonna so. would have been doing the same thing as Kesha if Like a Virgin wasn't what was risque at that time. I guess... I don't know. I feel like I can put together a better argument for this. At the same time, I don't. I don't want to feel. I don't want to. I don't want to seem like I'm supporting, like the pop music industry. Of course, but it's you know, it's you know, there are plenty of valid arguments in its favor. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I just don't see. Well, I, no, there aren't. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just don't see how what happens today is that much different than what used to happen, and I feel like there's a tendency to. Look on the past with rose-tinted glasses, especially when we didn't live no, through it. but I don't, like, it is different, though. 
And it's not just rose-colored glasses. As much no, as there's right. always the shittier things that you know that were hits and that were pop stuff, it still holds up better because there is still a more genuine sense of craft and a sense of discovery and not just... I mean, I would agree with that even towards stuff, stuff like, you know, boy bands of the 90s, which is really the only thing I can speak of with any authority because that's the only pop music phase that I was alive for other yeah. than what's going on right now. Yeah. Which is that, like, boy bands and... I guess, what would you call, like, the girl equivalents? Like, like Spice Girls. They're not called girl bands. I don't know what they call them. Yeah. No. Whatever, whatever they would call them. Like, you know, those bands were a group of people who knew how to sing, who were harmonizing with each other all the time, and also had to dance at the same time. And I guess, yeah. I Usually see they lip synced, though. Uh, probably live, but like that doesn't, that doesn't diminish the fact that they can actually sing. Like a lot of pop stars now, but like, you know, these are groups of pop stars, and there's a certain But now it's, just, it's so to clear, it. too, that like yes. everything on the radio I, is I auto-tuned out. That's another big problem, I feel and like. And even at that time, I'm sure. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely the, uh, there's a lack of genuity genuity in vocals now, definitely, that, that yeah. didn't used to be there, and I feel, I think that comes with a lot of just... Growing technology and, sure. and the ease of technology and how that stuff grows and you know it's it's not it's not a positive thing I would think overall yeah. and yeah what I was saying is that like even in the late nineties you know those were people who could actually sing and who had you know who had demanding vocal parts and I'm sure they were auto tuned a little bit but like yeah. generally they don't they don't have effects all over their voices and stuff whereas now that's kind of the norm just because that's what the modern sound is yeah. So I see your point there, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't really know what else to say, unless you have more. I'm sure I keep going all day, but let's get on to some talking about more worthwhile things. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> what worthwhile things do you have to talk about, Mr. Corey Gardner? Uh, I've been listening to the Ramones a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, speaking of pop, like, <clears throat> what's really neat about the Ramones, like, they, you know, started out and came out as, like, you know, like, <clears throat> sort of new wave you know, of music or like, you know, it was punk rock and it was just kind of like really boiling rock and roll to its essence because they were sick of, of, uh, you know, all the arena rock bands and stuff. Yeah. But they also clearly had a pretty key and pop sensibility, at least Joey Ramone, the singer did. And, uh, and, you know, it's interesting how, like, as they progress through their career, that becomes so much more clear. Like, I think I've talked about End of the Century here before, which is when they joined forces with Phil Spector and became a pop group, which had already begun on Road to Ruin. And uh, and so what I've been listening to lately is the album that followed End of the Century, which is Pleasant Dreams. And uh, I used to really like this album, and then I kind of got out of it, but now I'm kind of back in it again. And what's interesting about it is... You know, I used to think that it was sort of sounded like a return to sort of a more basic punk rock approach compared to End of the Century, which it kind of does, but it's also in some ways even more poppy than End of the Century because they were so unabashedly incorporating their bubblegum influences, and so it's kind of like it sounds kind of like the Ramones songs of the first, you know, three albums, but like with a lot of like like keyboards and stuff. And it's, it's really pretty one, neat. It's a lot of fun. What's uh, Bonzo Goes to Pittsburgh on? That's a lot later. That's, like, way into oh, the Oh, is it? I like that song a lot. This album's interesting, too, actually, because, like, it sort of marks the beginning of 80s Ramones, where Joey Ramone and Johnny Ramone <clears throat> stopped talking to each other. Right. And, like, this is the this is the album. And so, like, you know, the KKK took my baby away is on this album. And, like, some people have said, although it's been stated that this probably isn't the case, but I think it's an interesting idea that, you know, because their whole falling out and the reason they didn't talk for the remainder of the time they toured together is because, you know, Johnny supposedly, like, stole Joey's girl. And, oh, uh, really? Yeah. And, like, Johnny was, like, really, really right-wing and really, like, yeah. fascinated with Nazism and stuff and, like, and made a lot of, like, anti-Semitic comments toward Joey. And so, like, some say that the KKK took my baby away was actually written about Johnny hmm. and that, like, Joey was referring to him as the KKK. I think it's interesting, like the idea. I feel like that it's not true. It's probably not, yeah. But I think the idea, you know, just the fact that sort of like that Joey was coming out, and, you know, was like talking about this issue, and that like like you could just it just feels really uncomfortable that like they are working on these songs together that are about the rift between them. Like it's you know like Fleetwood Mac Rumors is a good example of an album that sort of like feels uncomfortable because if you know about the circumstances. Yeah. Part of what makes that album so good. Yeah. 
But yeah, Pleasant Dreams is pretty neat. It has this one song on there that's all about, it's like, you know, classic, like, 50s-style Ramones ballad yep. sort of thing, yeah. And it's called uh, 7-Eleven, it's about, like, how he met this girl at the 7-Eleven by the soda machine, and they uh, and they fell in love. But then at the end, you find out that, like, she died in a car crash. It's like one of those good old, like, 50s, my baby died kind of ballads. So he finds her outside the thing, but she was a ghost? No, no, she wasn't a ghost, but like, you know, because, you know, in the first few verses or whatever, like, he's just singing about so how he fell in love. So he's lamenting her loss. Exactly. I see. Which is the best kind of do ballad. Okay, interesting. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> yeah. And it's just, you know, there's just some really, like, fun moments where it's kind of like, you know, sort of like classic Ramones, kind of like three-chord rock and roll tunes, but with a lot of, like, sweet little bumpy, you know, bubbly keyboards and yeah. stuff. Cool. Yeah, it's a good time. And then there's the first song, which is cool, because it's called, like, We Want the Airwaves, and it's, like, a really, like sort of powerful indictment of uh or not indictment uh like whatever i guess the opposite of that would be <laughs> but just sort of like attack on like on radio and stuff because no were... indictment is right oh indictment okay yeah. there you go and it's like you know it's cool because they were clearly trying to be a bit more commercial and like the influence by pop and stuff but they didn't like the state of pop music at that time so sort of like they're railing against the way things are and wanting to go back to sort of more simple innocent time mm. of you know 50s kind of radio and stuff yeah yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, right on. Oh, and then I guess I also started listening again to Too Tough to Die, which is sort of like, you know, it's sort of like like their sort of like comeback album where they sort of responded to hardcore punk and stuff. And like, and the coolest songs on that album are the ones that Didi sang, because like, you know, Didi Ramone, who's the bassist and main creative force behind the Ramones, is like, made some pretty cool hardcore punk songs. But to me, a lot of that album doesn't really sound as good as people want it to. Mm. Including Robert Criscow. Does he like that album? <laughs> yeah, he does. Mm. And it's a good album, but I just, like, sometimes, you know, I don't really entirely get it, I guess. Like, it's cool because it does show them sort of returning a bit more to, like, the punk rock of the 70s and stripping their sound down, except for the few poppier tracks that are on there, but none of it holds up all that well, really. All right. Cool. Yeah. What have you? What about you? I, uh, I listened to Clockwork Angels, the new Rush album. Sweet. Your favorite band. My favorite band, yeah. I guess I still have to, like, yeah, I guess yeah. I should probably still call it my favorite band. Yeah, totally your favorite band. I don't, like, I don't listen to Rush nearly as much as you listen to Kiss, though. Yeah. Like, I don't go back to Rush as much as you go back to Kiss. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I can call Rush my favorite band anymore. Hmm. But still, a band that I love. I don't know, but they hold a special place yeah, in Yeah, they do, they do. You know, but, I don't listen to the Beastie Boys that much, but at the end of the day, they're still my favorite band. Oh, yeah, we listened, to some, we listened to some of Lessons to Ill today. Nice. Who's we? Uh, like like whoever. Oh, whoever cool! I, I do like it. I mean, it's, it was on shuffle with a bunch of other albums, mm-hmm. so I didn't get much appreciation for it. But yeah, it's pretty so cool. funny. I love that. Yeah. Album. Anyways, so yeah, Clockwork Angels is a really good album, which yeah. is not really a surprise at all because as good as Vapor Trails. Uh, okay, so I would say not as good as Vapor Trails, better than Snakes and Arrows. Yeah. Cool. Um. So, which is funny, because it actually sounds kind of like a like a mixture of those two albums. Like, mm-hmm. if you followed Rush's, Rush's career since they came back has been kind of interesting, just because, like, they don't really release albums, albums all that much, and they're very casual about working, because they don't need the money anymore, so they don't, they're not, like, they're not, like, hungry artists anymore, really. Mm-hmm. Um... They're just sort of they just sort of keep touring and keep doing things and then they sort of It seems kinda of like they have this attitude though that they are hungry artists and that it's not because it's not about the money they're hungry artists because yeah, they don't need the money, but yeah, it you know, is Neil Peer especially seems to like really like want to always be pushing forward and stuff. Oh yeah. In their music when they want to record music they do, but like especially this album was very like weirdly weirdly released, which is like they, there were two songs that came out like a year ago and then they were like they were like, We might make a new album from this, we might not. We don't really know. And then they ended up doing it, but it was like, it, it was a very like sort of hesitant kind of thing almost. And, uh, you know, they, it was a very like, you know, we'll do it when the time is right kind of idea, hmm. which Rush kind of always does. So they've only had three albums since like 2002. Uh, in 10 years, they've only had three albums, which is, you know, pretty normal for, for an older band and, yeah. and that kind of thing. It's, you know, four, four years between releases or something. I guess between Vapor Trails, there was five between Vapor Trails and Fart. Oh yeah, there were five. There were five years between each album. So between Vapor Trails and Snakes and Arrows and Snakes and Arrows and Clockwork Angels are five years. So their first out al- so Vapor Trails is like a super awesome album that I've always loved because it's yeah, like yeah. crazy heavy. It's like really, really super heavy and super energetic and it's like got their best lyrics also because it's all about Neil Peart and his like personal his crazy personal family tragedy that happened to him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's got this connectivity to it that 
sometimes Rush doesn't have. Um, and and then Snakes and Arrows was a really good album that like they did re- some really interesting things and it was a lot more mellow. Like Vapor Trails was super heavy and um, yeah, that one. Yeah, Snakes, Snakes and Arrows had a lot more like acoustic stuff. Yeah, right? a lot more acoustic stuff, a lot more mid tempo kind of stuff. Um, just generally a mellower kind of album, but still has a lot of really kind of interesting things about it. And the, the best thing about new Rush albums is that they've continued to be Rush while still mm-hmm. totally changing. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which Rushes all have always been good about doing. Yeah. Um, except in the eighties, like in the late eighties, no, they still sound they like still, Rush. Though. They still sound like Rush. Just kind of yeah. boring Rush. Yeah, you're right. Um. So yeah, and th- so this one kind of sounds like a midway between those two. There's some stuff on here that's like crazy, crazy heavy, and uh, and kind of awesome. In fact, like the album in general is really, it's like a very heavy album. It's very hard. Um, Third Eye Blind. There was nothing vague about their lyrics. <laughs> like that's right. you know very clear emotional kind of stuff, but it's still music that fits really well into a more kind of like you know like you know the popular kind of thing. Yeah, like it's a uh, you know yeah. Okay, can, I, can I keep talking now? Yeah. Yeah. But so, I just, I had, you know, I'm, you want an example? I gave you one. Okay, great. So, yeah. So it's sort of like, it's sort of like Vapor Trails in that it's still very heavy, but it's also somewhat like Snakes and Arrows in that most of the songs are like, despite them being heavy, most of the songs are pretty, are like fairly mid-tempo and uh, it kind of has that feel throughout the entire thing. Um, it's really good. It's also a concept album, which is kind of cool. What's the concept? Uh, it's a, it's it's like it's a very not proggy concept. It's basically just about like a dude. It's like a guy, and it's like his life, and he's sort of like, gr- he, it's sort of like him leaving his house and growing up and getting disillusioned with the world, and then like getting his hope back. That sounds pretty proggy. Yeah, it is proggy. Isn't that kind of what uh, the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway is about? Maybe, but the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway has a lot of like crazy psychedelic things in it too. Yeah, there's a lot Land of Lies on Broadway story, gets actually. really crazy near the end and like starts losing all sense of being a cohesive plot mm-hmm. in any shape or form. But uh, yeah, and in that way, so so what's nice about it is that it still has that. Um, so it's what American Idiot is about. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah, but less <laughs> shitty. Um, and it's it's nice because the lyrics are still. I mean, Neil Peart's lyrics have a habit of being sort of uh, stiff a little bit. Like I've always thought Neil Peart was a very good lyricist and that he's a very smart person and Better writes lyricist than Getty Lee. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he he just like his lyrics are very good, but they're also kind of stiff and they're very you know they're very intelligent, which means they right. can get a little wordy and a little silly sounding sometimes. And, well, because like his main inspirations are Ayn Rand and J.R.R. Tolkien, right? I mean, back in the seventies, yeah, he's yeah. he developed like past, you know, past like. Hemispheres. He developed much beyond that, hmm. um, and, and he sort of just started talking about you know more modern, relatable things. All right, I guess so. Uh, and so, and, and I think his lyrics writing has gotten really good over the past couple albums, especially with Favorite Trails. And I guess having having just more heartbreak to to draw on, I guess, hmm. and and more more living, I guess. Whereas, like, a lot of early Rush lyrics can sort of, or especially a lot of stuff from the 80s, can sort of sound like he's kind of talking at you from a, from a pedestal. Right. Uh, these ones are much more personable. And they're still kind of unwieldy and kind of uh, kind of stiff, but they're they're very good lyrics and they're very, yeah, it's pretty cool. I wouldn't really know it was a concept album unless, like, other than two songs, which are sort of like part one and part two that are, like, the beginning of the album and the end of the album, you don't really get a good sense of them, of it being, like, a cohesive story or anything but yeah it, 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 I mean, it sounds like a simple story that I would yeah, expect it to and it's really. good and what's cool about it is that it does feel like it feels like this could be Rush's last album like it like it just because of like the musings on mortality and, and it like you know it feels very it, you know it feels like the dude is like a stand in for maybe not Rush the band necessarily but for like the members of Rush and just sort of like you know man we are like old now and we've gone through this entire journey and sort mm-hmm. of you know, it, it it's very it's it just feels like it could be their last album. And I think it would it would be a good a good note to, to end off on. Yeah. Really. But musically it's pretty cool. The production is a little iffy. They're using the same guy who they used on Snakes and Arrows. And Snakes and Arrows was a great sounding album, like it was very clear and, and just like really sounded great. This album is like weirdly muddy, which mm. is a bit of a shame. Yeah. It sort of lacks a bit of the clarity. The bass is a little buried sometimes, which is a real shame because Getty Lee bass parts are awesome and like when the cool parts happen it'll pop out at you but there's a couple times where it's like it's not as clear as I would like it to be mm-hmm. 
But yeah, it's a really good album. It's long. You probably won't like it because I know you don't really like Vapor Trails, and I feel like yeah, it's, it's, uh, it. it's quite a lot like Vapor Trails. I feel like eventually I will get into New Rush, but... yeah. I oh, also, the best song on the album, they already released, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, or maybe like Headlong a month ago. Flight. Yeah, Headlong Flight, which is, that album is, I mean, that song is so killer, I can't believe it, like, just, it's so heavy and fast and, like, energetic, and it's got a ripping solo in it, and it's seven minutes long. Hmm. Oh, that song is so good. So yeah, that album is, is, uh, is very good. I would recommend it to, uh... Anyone who likes Rush, I guess. Like, if you don't like Rush at this point, nothing's gonna nothing's gonna change your mind. But yeah, but Especially yeah, not if you if you album. like Rush, this is certainly another really good Rush album. And those guys are fucking old. Like, they're so old. They're way too old to be playing the music that they're playing. Yeah, they should be. And like, it's still really good. They sort of they've returned. What's nice about it is that a there are guitar solos which most Rush albums haven't had recently. Like they've mm. sort of just given up the guitar solo, and there are guitar solos on it, which is nice. And it's also like, it's proggy in the way that there are like a, a lot of really like quick weird time signature changes, which they also haven't had a lot. Like Vapor yeah. Trails, and Snakes and Arrows are both fairly straight ahead. Yeah, they kind are. of rock tunes. Yeah. Like they're very interesting and they're very Rush like, but they don't really do much in the way of like mind-bending prog stuff and they do that a little bit more on this album which is pretty nice yeah that's cool pretty nice to hear. i guess that must be a conscious decision then yeah oh yeah definitely it's it's sweet i like it a lot i don't know whether i should post headlong flight again hmm. or post a different song you post a different song i really like headlong flight though it's like <laughs> so, and it's so obviously the best song on that album hmm. but uh i don't know we'll see what else have you been listening to well, uh, a few weeks ago, you were talking about this band you had to review who were like, uh, uh, kind of like a band who, I guess, like, had members of the Feelies or something. Yeah, the band was the the Tripes. Right. And so that reminded me of the, the Feelies, and like, I remember they're a band who I, like, I've had their first album, Crazy Rhythm, just kind of hanging out on my computer for so long, and never really got into it, but then I had been thinking about them after you said that, and like, you know, recently, like, this past weekend, actually, just, like, the other day... I decided to check out the album again, and like I wound up listening to it like three times in one day, and like it's actually really, really great stuff. Mm. Like it's really cool. Uh, how do I describe them without sounding pretentious? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like they have a lot of like you know it came out like nineteen eighty, yeah. So it really kind of uh, is one of the early sort of post punk albums and predates a lot of the kind of you know, 80s obsession with, like, jangly guitars and stuff. Yeah, That's they were, they were definitely of one of the first people to do that. I mean, yeah. they are... They sound like a band... At least, I'm not sure about them, but the Tripes have certain songs that sound like they could be released now mm. and totally fit in with, like, an indie rock kind of kind of mold. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, you know, and it's... Like, they just... They have a lot of weird percussion stuff, like, a lot of kind of atypical stuff and, like, you know, rhythms, like, a lot of... Uh, like just like I don't know, like wood blocks and like the kind of sound that you expect. A lot of crazy rhythms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's they're 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 just kind of an interesting band because they're like you know look at the album cover and there's kind of like a bunch of nerds in front of a blue background. <laughs> so you see what Weezer got it from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like is it a blue sky though or is it just blue? It's kind of I sky like color, sky, but right? it's not. It's kind of just blue though. Okay. It's not really. I don't think it's really supposed to be a sky. Um. Yeah, no, it's just interesting. Like it's, like it's, it feels really serious, and yet at the same time, as if it has kind of a weird, undetectable <laughs> sense of humor. Mm, uh, that's interesting because the tripes to me seem very serious as well, but they're also like quirky and weird. Yeah, it's that kind of thing with these but guys it, too. But it, it definitely feels like it's mostly serious. Yeah, like they, you know, they have a similar, the similar kind of like weird sort of feel that bands like the Talking Heads and Devo have where it sort of feels really like disjointed and I guess that's kind of a, you know a post-punk sort of thing a part of the aesthetic of the music yeah. but like they just they did some pretty cool stuff and they had like a cover of uh, Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except Me and My Monkey oh on that's it, awesome pretty neat yeah, yeah that sounds great yeah yeah they they, they did a lot of the Tripes did a bunch of covers too hmm. like they do um, I forget <laughs> a George Harrison song oh cool Forget which one. My sweet lord. No. Or maybe it was a it was a Beatles song written by George Harrison. Mm. I forget which one. Something. No. 
Whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's cool because, like, for a band, you know, like, these kind of suburban nerds to be sort of playing their version of punk rock and be covering the Beatles seems like, at the time, kind of a big deal, you know, because punk rock, other than the Ramones, wasn't really all that friendly with the Beatles. I guess not. You're right. So, yeah. I, don't know, I guess I don't have much else to say because I can't really describe music all that well. <laughs> but it's a really good album. Yeah, cool. Right on. Um, so the other album, we're gonna, we're gonna do something we haven't done in a while. We are gonna play a song, actually. Ooh! Yeah, we're gonna do it. Uh, so Wide-Eyed Tour Guide, who we've talked about and played on this, on this very podcast, um, just came out with their EP, which they've been working on for about a year, and, uh, it's fucking good. It's like, not only is it, like, are the songs great, because I love, I, I've always really liked Wide-Eyed Tour Guide. I've played with them a bunch of times with both yeah, of my Yeah, the one band. time I saw them, they were great. I think I've played with Wide-Eyed Tour Guide probably five times or something. Um, maybe more. And, uh, I've always really dug their songs and their sound. Um, but what's great about the EP is that it, it has all those things, but it sounds great. Like, it's really polished and, uh... It's, it's, it, you know, it sounds professional. Like, it sounds like you could, you could totally hear this on the radio or something. Hmm. But, you know, on like an indie rock radio station. Yeah, of course. But, yeah, it sounds really awesome. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let it speak for itself. I'm gonna play a song. The song's called, uh, Churchill. And, uh, yeah. Like a minute long, my couch from a moon. 
There it is, Wide-Eyed Tour Guide. That was really good. Yeah, fucking great band. Um, so you can go over to their band camp, which is wideeyedtourguide.bandcamp.com, and you can uh, you can download the album. You can It's like a name your price thing, so you can click on buy now and um, choose how much you want to pay for it. Uh, I haven't actually bought it yet, but I, I plan to. I'm probably going to toss them like five bucks, because, you know, bands got to look out for each other. Yeah, uh, and I think it's coming out on vinyl soon. Actually, I think I think they're getting Ooh, like nice. a like Good a limited a limited pressing of some vinyl. So are they copies. on an indie label? No, they're not on a label. They're doing it all themselves. Nice. J- Jared Parker, who's like the the sort of main songwriter and, and vocalist, and he plays bass. And on the album, like that that one was very representative of what their sound is like now, which is like bass, piano, drums. But there is guitar also on the album. Mm. Um, and. Uh, when he posted, he was like, hey, my band just released an EP. You better like it because it took a year and all of my money. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you can yeah, totally hear like it. These guys. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. You can hear where that money went, you know. Yeah. Like, it sounds really, really good. So yeah. definitely check those guys out. I'm sure they're playing all over the goddamn place. Yeah. That's a really good song. It's better than Kiss. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, yeah. So that's that. That's what I've been listening to. That, that's everything I got. Cool. So, uh, speaking of Kiss, <laughs> I don't have anything else to say about Kiss today. <laughs> you sure you're tapped out? Yeah. I, I guess I always have something to say about Kiss if I really want to, but I'm I'm pretty sick of thinking about Kiss. Yeah. Um, well, I guess this, this actually marginally relates to Kiss. <laughs> uh, so I uh, recently, after hanging out with a friend... Uh, Who's, who are in main nameless for no reason at all. It's just Adam. Oh, okay. <laughs> we were listening to his iTunes on Shuffle, and, like, a song came up, and I was like, this is neat, what is this? And then I realized, like, once vocals came in, that it was, like, you know, something I'd put on his computer a long time ago, which was, like, early Alice Cooper, like, back before the, before Bob Ezrin turned them into a hard rock band, where they were okay. just kind of, like, a weird psychedelic band who Frank Zappa liked because he thought they were so bad that he had to sign them. <laughs> uh, and, uh... And so I heard that, and I was like, man, I haven't listened to that stuff in a long time. So I went back and listened to the album that the song was off of. Um, the album's called Easy Action. It was their second album. And, like, it's actually, like, a really neat album. Like, they just, they made some really cool kind of psychedelic songs. And, like, it's it's sort of where, you know, even on their first album, like, there's a bit of sort of, like, the darker themes and stuff that Alice Cooper would sure. continue to explore throughout his career and their career as a band or whatever. But, like, this is sort of the album where he's beginning to form his sort of persona and be a bit more, like playing a, something a bit more villainous and like in his vocals like it's becoming a bit more sort of like you know because in the beginning it's interesting you, you listen to him sing and he doesn't have that rough <laughs> style that he adopted as a hard rock singer he has a very kind of like light sort of voice that he sings with and that's kind of interesting um and yeah you know there's some weird stuff like just like you know musical freakouts and stuff that you wouldn't really expect from a band who would in one year be a straight up hard rock band yeah um so that's it's pretty cool, cool. yeah, yeah. It's kind of a neat, a neat little gem. Um, another thing that I heard recently for the first time uh, is this album called Sexton Blake Sings the Hits. Uh, or maybe it's called Plays the Hits. I don't know. Maybe I wrote the wrong thing. <laughs> I mean, either of those. I think it's Sexton Blake Plays the Hits. All right. And uh, Which is kind of a funny title. Uh, you know, so Sexton Blake was this band that I guess was like sort of like the... I guess, like, a singer of, uh, and, like, maybe, I don't even know what he played, but he was in Starfucker, and I guess he was sort of, like, one of oh, the main creative forces behind Starfucker. Yeah. Uh, and this album was released in 2007, so I guess it was right around the time the first Starfucker album was released. Oh, I thought it was new. No, it's uh, not new. Huh. 
Jordan right. Jordan thought it was new because he never knows what he's talking about. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but yeah, it's really cool. You know, it's it sounds very much like a Sonic cousin to the first Starfucker album, which is really nice because of how much their sound has sort of evolved since that album. But it has you know it has that same kind of like synthy sort of like beat driven sound with a lot of really kind of like minor melancholy sounding guitar chords and yeah. stuff cool. and and it's that with a bunch of sort of like very kind of kitschy 80s songs that they're covering and and it's, a, it's just a really neat selection of songs like you know it starts out with like hungry heart by bruce springsteen and but they all do like girl you know it's true by millie vanilli and like human nature by michael jackson and like right. the logical song by super Tramp. oh that's badass that one was actually a disappointment because jordan presented it to me as like his favorite one off the album one of his favorites and for me it didn't do anything because they just sort of turned it into a really sort of like low-key acoustic sort of thing and i felt like it would have been more effective if it had the same sort of synthy drum machine style that most of the other tracks on there have. I find I often disagree with Jordan's picks of... Well, I mean, you know, it's obviously, you know, that's a preference thing, but, like, I feel like a lot of the time me and Jordan will like the same things, but for but different totally different reasons. Yeah, yeah. And, and different... Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, so, you know, he played the album for us, and, like, it was just, like, really cool stuff. Cool. Um, yeah, I guess I don't really have much else to say about it. But, it, you know, cause it's a nice little dose, I guess, of sort of, like, you know, seeing where Starfucker really kind of comes from, you know, by seeing, essentially, what amounts to Starfucker playing stuff that probably kind of influenced them in yeah. some way or another. I mean, this is a band that did a cover of... Uh, Girls Just Want to Have yeah, Fun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, I guess the last thing that I have to talk about is that... Uh, I decided, you know, because we talked a bit about it last week, we had both listened to a bit of it, but I hadn't really gotten through too much of it, but I wasn't digging what I was hearing. You know, it's uh, rap music by Killer Mike. <laughs> Do you know what the, what the R.I.P. stands for, by no. the way? It's actually an acronym, and it's Rebellious African People. So it's actually <laughs> Rebellious African People music, which is pretty funny. Well, because I know that that album has a whole, like, old-school kind of leaning. Like, Yeah, you very know, much so. Especially, I mean, I mean, now that I know about the acronym, you know, that is a very, like, obvious homage to to nwa i would probably say yeah probably and then you know the yeah. album cover is like him against a brick wall in yeah. a tracksuit. yeah exactly you know? exactly and that's the thing is sort of like at first it's, it was sounding kind of like you know typical southern gangster rap with you know lp is kind of interesting production but now the more i listen to it the more i realize that like that it actually takes me back to a more innocent time in my life when I just really loved gangster rap. <laughs> to a more innocent time in your life when you loved listening to people doing coke and, and like killing bitches. shooting people. Well, because, you know, like, it sort of it makes me realize, like, you know, I've become so much more critical about it, but at the time, you know, I understood very well the, what the inherent problems with it, but I just didn't really care. It was just, it was just a kind of fun escapism and stuff, and that's what made it kind of innocent, like... You know, and at the same time, then there was the more political things, which I was kind of interested in, sort of like, you know, <laughs> these sort of like militant gangster rappers mm. who were sort of like really shouting about what was going on in their neighborhoods and stuff. And that's very much what this album feels like, was kind of like as much as it, there's a lot of boasting and a lot of like party raps and stuff, there is also a lot of him actually sort of like talking about social issues and, you know, doing it in such a way that it never comes off as sort of pretentious political rapping, but just kind of like you know, him sort of trying to say it like it is and be sort of like, a, you know, a militant in the classic style of, like, a Chuck D type. Apparently, during his set at North by Northeast, where he only played for, like, a half an hour, mm. he ranted about Ronald Reagan for, like, two minutes. True, yeah, well, he has a song called Reagan <laughs> yeah. that's him ranting about Ronald Reagan, so... <laughs> yeah. And Barack Obama, for that matter. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't catch any political stuff in that album. Yeah, it uh, seems to come a lot more in the second half. Like, I did listen to that album most of the way through, but I guess by the end of it, I wasn't really paying a lot of attention. To yeah, it. yeah. Yeah, but it's actually pretty fun. You know, because it made me realize that I've become kind of scared of gangster rap over time. Like, right. because it used to be so simple for me, and then it sort of came to a point where I started becoming really critical of, like, you know, particularly of West Coast gangster rap and, like, you know, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. And they started to really just kind of disgust me and turn me off and stuff. And, like, lately I've just kind of gotten back into them and embraced it again with a new sort of mindset about it that is still a bit more critical. But, you know, it, it, it did become this sort of thing where, like, you know, because I'd become so much more interested in a lot of different types of rappers, like gangster rappers just 
had, you know, didn't appeal to me. And so whenever I heard new gangster rappers, even if they were kind of cool, I'd sort of be inclined to just not be interested. And that's sort of, and that's sort of what happened with this album. But now I guess I've sort of opened up to it, and it's pretty cool stuff. Cool. Yeah, the production. Like I, I think that album sounds pretty cool, and yeah. I think it's got an interesting. I think I think that that old school hip hop kind of flavor it has is kind of is kind of unique. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I you know what interests me? What interests me too is like you know what made me want to listen to it in the first place is that like it warranted a, you know somebody giving it a five on Spotify yeah. like a new album to be deemed a classic is kind of you know by anybody who can articulate why they why yeah. it deserves that kind of rating is like you know something worth investigating yeah, and that absolutely. was why i felt like you know those expectations kind of clashed with the product that didn't seem to necessarily be worthy of instant classic status maybe maybe and i still feel that way but it's still a cool album yeah yeah, yeah. cool i also remember you were talking about listening to grave diggers again and yeah. Reevaluating your stance. Yeah, realizing that it totally is like one of the best rap albums ever made. Yeah. Does that mean I can post a Grave Digger song? Today yeah. The link? Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Fuck it. Six Feet Deep is going up there. Because that is the best song in the album. I think. It's one of my faves. That or like Diary of a Madman just for its sheer creepiness. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. I guess that's all we have for this week, right? I have some news. Well, I mean, I mean for listening. That's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I did not get any news. I was too busy, and it didn't. At a glance, there didn't seem to be too much that was interesting. Yeah, there wasn't too much at a glance. Like half of my wait, three out of four of the news things I have to talk about all came from today. <laughs> okay. And you know, prior to today, there was only one thing. Cool. But like three things have popped up since last night, apparently. So the first thing, the one that would have been my only piece of news. Uh, you know, so Questlove did this did this set with D'Angelo, which was yep. his big return and stuff. And so I read this interview with Questlove talking about D'Angelo, and it's really interesting because apparently D'Angelo hasn't really stopped working. He's been sort of working on material since Voodoo came out twelve years ago, <laughs> but he's just such a perfectionist and like a really insecure one at that. Mm. Who like apparently like doesn't want, you know, doesn't want the world to see his talent unless he knows he is the best at what he is doing at the time, which I guess explains why Voodoo was such a good album. Right. But, so because of that, he sort of, like, hasn't released anything in 12 years, but, you know, now Questlove is hoping that this sort of return to the stage is going to sort of light the fire to make him, you know, just <laughs> kind of, like, get some more material out there. And it's pretty cool because he's talking in this interview about how apparently it's going to be a pretty radical... Uh, 180 turn from what he did in the past you know Questlove said that he that D'Angelo has discovered Bowie and Zeppelin the Beatles Pet Sounds Captain Beefheart and Zappa and that's pretty interesting if like that's the stuff that's influencing D'Angelo right now rather than just kind of like Prince I think that do you think for 12 years he was he was holed up he was just soaking in in like soaking in Trump mask replica yeah exactly (laughs) he just he just he just just brought a band into a cabin in the woods and just like kept beating on them for 12 years (laughs) oh I hope so it's gonna be a good (laughs) album (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah that's pretty cool yeah so I'm pretty interested to see what this what this what these new fixations are gonna do for his music if he does release anything so he's basically the he's like the Axl Rose of his genre in a sense, I guess. This is like the Chinese democracy. Yeah, maybe. Except I think the difference is that he never said he was going to release anything. Okay, right. That's right. why it's sort of, it right. never was this thing where people are like, well, why isn't D'Angelo released yeah. this yet? Because he was never talking about it because he clearly, to this day, isn't sure he's ever going to release anything else. Right. Yeah, I, I really want to see a D'Angelo that is influenced by David Bowie and Captain Beefheart and Frank Zappa. I want to see anything influenced by Captain Beefheart. Well, that's not true. <laughs> but I think... Yeah, I don't know. Any 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 band that I already like saying, oh, I'm listening to a bunch of Cat and Beefheart, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm down. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, the next thing I got here, Keith Richards talking about joint recordings with Jack White that they sort of did, like, together uh, a few years ago. They recorded some stuff and, like, you know, became friends, I guess, and, like, you know, now he's talking about potentially releasing those recordings one day if Jack White wanted to. I don't know what it's going to sound like, but I guess it's kind of interesting. But that's not really what's most interesting about the story. What's most interesting is that, you know, the Rolling Stones are gearing up to do their 50th anniversary yeah. tour. And so now they're talking about new material and all that, and like potentially starting some new stuff. Which is cool, I think, because the Stones have been, <laughs> you know, okay. Like the, you know, like sure. the one album they released sure, this decade okay. was pretty solid. 
So I trust them to do stuff. But what's more exciting is that, you know, so, like, I guess whoever was talking to him was like, well, you've been doing stuff with Jack White. Do you think maybe, like, maybe you'll get him on board as a producer? And Keith Richards was kind of like, yeah, maybe, like, maybe that'll happen. Yeah, that's down. not really anything. That's though. not anything, no. It's just speculation. But it's, you know, it's not news, but it's just an interesting idea. You know, because the yeah, idea of Jack White producing the Rolling Stones is really that exciting. That kind of crazy. Yeah, like I think that I don't even know if Jack White would want to do that. I feel like, you know, I feel like Jack White wouldn't even take that on. Maybe. That totally might be, but at the same time, maybe he totally would That'd take it on. That'd be fucking cool, though. I would, I would love yeah. to hear. And that would be the biggest, like, Rolling Stones making a new album is still, if it happens, going to be huge. Yeah. You know, any new material by Rolling Stones is going to be hyped up like mad. You fucking add Jack White into that, and that will probably be the best-sold rock album of since the 2000s. Yeah, and like, hopefully a good one. Yeah. And, I mean, if Jack White's producing, you really kind of have to trust it. Yeah. So I really hope that that's what happens. Yeah. It probably won't, but I'm, I'm kind of cool. holding out my hope It would for be it. cool. Uh, yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah. So, Green Day have been talking about their, you know, trilogy of albums that are coming out. And apparently they're pretty soon going to be releasing the lead single, which will be called Oh Love. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Billy Joe Armstrong was talking about it, and, like, it sounds like such an interesting idea that you just know is going to be bad. Yeah, of course. You know, like, have you read any of the sort of coverage of it? I've only seen, I've seen a couple of, like, the trailers they've put out. Mm, I haven't. Um... And one of them has the, the cover to the first one on the end of it. Which is like one of their faces, right? Like each one is Yeah, I think it's faces. Billy Joe's face and it has like a sticker over it kind of and it's like very it's very it's very like, hey, this is a punk album. Mm-hmm. It's like kinda of dumb and I don't like it. See, it, it seems like they're not really going for punk. Like, you know, he's talking a lot about power pop in the interviews and about sort of like wanting to create music that sounds kind of like A C D C meets the Beatles. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense for what Green Day have been doing. Exactly. Like, that seems like where they should be going, and, like, you know, that idea is kind of exciting, but I feel like it's going to end up sounding like Foxborough Hot Tubs, which was really bad, so... Yeah, I thought Foxborough Hot Tubs was going to be so good. And at the time, I kind of liked it. I listened to that album once, and I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, I listened to it once, and then the second time I listened to it, I was like, "Mm, this isn't that good. This is kind of boring as hell. Well, that's a really weird album, too, because it's like a covers album that's pretending it's an album of originals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah, I'll probably listen to all three of those albums. Oh, you know? I like, definitely listen to them. I I knew I was going to hate 21st Century Breakdown. I yeah. listened to it once all the way through. Yeah, anyways. me too. You know, I, I suffered through that album. Yeah. It is a, no, it is a one on Sputnik. Really? Yes. Oh, for you, you mean? For me, yes. I thought you meant like that. No, <laughs> no I, I gave it a one. Right that on. was terrible. Oh, man. Absolutely. I think the only album that has a one is Ratitude. It used to also be Crazy Nights by Kiss, but I think I jumped that up to like 1.5. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Because when I went back and sort of like revisited the Kiss, I was like, I guess this isn't so bad. It doesn't deserve a one anymore. I kind of like seven 1. songs. 1.5. Yeah. Uh, there you go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Gene. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Okay. Um... Yeah. Last thing, which I guess is the most genuinely kind of exciting thing, because it's the only thing that is actually, that means something, <laughs> is that Blur are going to be releasing two new songs live on Twitter. How? I don't know. I don't know what live on Twitter means. Does but that just mean they're just going to post it on Twitter first? But I think the idea is that like you have to tune in at a certain time. How? Because it's like live. But there's no way to do that on Twitter. Hmm. Yeah, maybe it's going to be posted on Twitter first then. Like probably, Either way, that's less the point than the fact that Blur are like releasing two new songs. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Blur, Blur, gonna, Blur gonna break up. Yeah, that's what's kind of neat about so it. So why are they releasing new songs? I mean, I guess it's kind. I guess it's like, you know, like one of the members who, which I remember was talking about, it kind of said like, you know we don't know what this means. Like, this could either, this either is the end or the beginning of something new. Like, who knows? You know, because Blur, you know, Damon Albarn himself one was talking a lot about how, like, you know, all of these things are so indefinite and, you know, yeah. they just, you know, you don't really know what's going to happen and apparently I guess they felt inspired enough to work on some new songs together. I'm not sure how much I care about hearing new Blur songs, to be honest. I don't, I don't even really like Blur, to be honest. I guess I don't love Blur either, but I do, I've always kind of liked them. Yeah, like, they're a good band that I don't like. Yeah. Or that I don't have any I'm interested to see what new Blur songs it's... are going to sound like. I guess I should listen to more Blur. I only have... I have the first disc of 
their best of. See, I bet they were a good singles band, but like they're also a pretty good album. Usually, right. listen to Park Life. Park Life's a cool album. Maybe it will. But I haven't listened to since like two years ago. But like, is Song Two on it? Cool no, that's a self album, which was a good album too. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I guess we're gonna wrap it up then. Wrap, 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 wrap it up. <laughs> wrap, 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 wrap it up. Corey getting his guitar up, putting his fingers down on, on the guitar. He's teeing off, getting ready. Okay, Corey, do it! Do it! Wait. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Two out, guys. Two out, guys. Catch you next week. <laughs>